Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. This is our church vision. Acts twenty six sixteen. it says, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Aren't you glad God's not done with us? Amen. There's, we've, we've seen a lot. Thank God for what we've seen, but there's more to be seen. Amen. It says, I'll deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me, obviously, it's our vision of a church of our church, and I tell you, you know, Paul went on to say so that he was he was faithful to that vision, right? And uh, we're going to be faithful to the vision God's given us, Amen. Praise God, and that that happens by all of us being faithful to the vision that God's given us, Amen. Do you know that you're a minister and a witness? I said, did you know that you're a minister and a witness? You're a minister and a witness, Amen. You're gifted and graced by God to be a minister and a witness, Amen. And uh, it's just important to keep this in front of ourselves. And, uh, you know, when uh, uh, vision is such an important thing, with, without, without a vision in front of us, it's easy to get off track and let other things enter in. But this is the vision of our church. This is what he's called us to do. Amen. After last Sunday night, who was here last Sunday night? We just had a, a great service, a great time. And um, uh, after Mark got up and, and exhorted us uh, last week, and, and you can actually go and listen to it. It's on the helps page of the website. Uh, but he got up and exhorted us and I tell you, it was just, uh, uh, just a wonderful thing. And so just some things were stirring in my heart for tonight. And, uh, you know, Mark was talking about the fact that, uh, that we as a body, as a congregation, we're equipped to do what God's called us to do. And that, that, that we're not waiting on anything, that we're not lacking anything. We just simply need to step out and obey God, right? And just throw caution to the wind and just do what God's called us to do. Amen. And, uh, you know, it's good to know that we're in a place where you're equipped and a place where you're prepared, but then there's always that, that switch you gotta, that you gotta throw from preparation time into execution time. Amen. From, from being prepared to do something to going out and actually doing the work. And, uh, we're at that point. And of course, you know, we know Jesus is coming back soon. Don't you know that? And, uh, there, there's a harvest to be reached and there's people to be reached. And so that's up to you and I to do it. Amen. So I just had a few things in my heart tonight and, uh, uh we'll see. Uh, where we go with this, go with me over to Matthew chapter nine. These are some things that I know that you know, but uh, they'll be a good reminder to us. Matthew the ninth chapter. Praise you when you're there. Just say I'm there, Pastor Greg. Y'all, right. some fast page turners. I like that. All right. <laughs> you there yet, Justin? He's there. Okay. All right. Justin's there, and then we can move on. Matthew chapter nine. We'll start in the thirty-fifth verse. So then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I just want to just a couple of things to talk to you tonight, just to stir you up on, you know, that we've got a calling. Amen. And God, I said, we've got a calling. Amen. 
You know, the whole reason why Jesus came was to seek and to save the lost. That's the entire reason that he came was to seek and save the lost. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad he did because I was one of those. I was in the, in the ranks of the, of the lost, right? I was in the ranks of those that needed to be sought after. You know, when you seek after something, a lot of times the thing you're seeking after doesn't know it needs to be sought because it's lost. I remember as a kid, you know, my brother and I, we went out, uh, we lived out in Gilcrest County when we first moved here from Jacksonville and, uh, we decided to go exploring one day and, uh, uh, and we had 10 acres or so we lived on, but it was, it was in the middle of the woods. Our nearest neighbor was six miles through the woods was our nearest neighbor. And you could shoot a gun in any direction and not hit anything. I mean, you know, except for an animal, but uh, there were no houses, no people, just us. And the nearest neighbor my age was 12 miles away. We'd actually ride our bike 12 miles to go play. That's commitment. So <laughs> when you're out in the woods, you're desperate, right? So uh, for anybody your age to play with, only so much Duke's a hazard you can play with your brother, right? So uh, <laughs> he would never let me be Luke. But anyway, all right, so... Uh, yeah, he always had to be Luke and I had to be Bo. But anyway, um, so the younger one's like, what is that? Don't even waste your time finding out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we decided one day to go exploring the woods. Not our most bright idea. I was in the uh, first grade and uh, Steve was in the fifth grade and uh, he was our leader of the pack. And so we went out uh, to do some exploration in the, in the woods. And I didn't know this, but Steve knew right away that we were lost. And, uh, you know, when you're lost, it, it's a very helpless situation when you're lost, but it's even more helpless to not even know that you're lost. I mean, Steve was looking for help, looking for some kind of sign. I was just oblivious to what was going on. And by the time I figured it out, we were, we were found. But, uh, you know, the people in this world, they're lost. A lot of times they don't even know they're lost. They're lost. They don't even know that they have a need. They're not even aware of it, you know? And so I'll say this, you know, when, uh, when we look at people and we approach people, never gauge their response uh, uh, based on whether or not they need it or not. You know, just because they don't know they're lost doesn't mean they're lost. Doesn't mean they need Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, we live in a world with a lot of distractions, a lot of things going on just to keep that very thing, to keep men's eyes darkened and not know really what's at stake. And, uh, but, you know, the vision of our church here is obviously to reach these. But it says about Jesus when he saw the multitudes. I just want to talk a little bit about seeing people tonight and recognizing them. Uh, for what they are. It's important that we recognize them. Go over to James, the fifth chapter. We were there this morning. We want to look at this again, James chapter five, a little bit further back into the, into the, the book of James here. What's that? He's there. All right. All right. We started something tonight. Okay. Uh, James, the fifth chapter. In verse 7, it says, Therefore be patient, brethren. Now, this is obviously written to us. Therefore be patient, patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Amen. But notice how Jesus here, how the word uh, uh, and the writer James here describes uh, people who are without Christ. He calls them the precious fruit of the earth, the precious fruit of the earth. I just want to just for a minute, just talk to you about the fact that people are precious. Amen. People are precious. You know, last week, Mark was uh, exhorting us to go out and, and to reach people and to really let our light shine and just to uh, challenge ourselves. And I'll say this, you know, uh, along this line. It's never a comfortable thing to step outside of your comfort zone and to go after people. It's just not comfortable. 
you know, we're, we're creatures of habit. We like to do what we like to do and, and like to do things the way we like to do them. And, uh, uh, you know, at my age, I'm already finding there are certain things I, it's easy for me to get settled into that I just like the way it is. And, and really, I found if you're going to walk with God, you have to be, uh, and when I say walk with God, actually pursue his interests and go after the things that he has. You've got to be willing to be a little uncomfortable. Amen. Thank you for your response there. It's true. Nobody, want, nobody likes the idea of being uncomfortable, but that's just the way it is. You know, walking with God is just uncomfortable on the flesh anyway. Because it's a call and an invitation to walk at a standard that's above what we would walk on our own. I mean, what an, what an awesome opportunity that it said that we read this morning of Enoch that, that he pleased God. If you go back in Genesis and look about Enoch, it says about him a couple times that Enoch walked with God. We don't know much about Enoch, but we do know that he walked with God. I mean, that was the thing that, that his action and his life that produced, that he walked with God. Now, what exactly all does that mean? I have no idea, but I do know this. He walked so closely that one day he was walking with God, and God said, you know, instead of you going home, why don't you just come hang out and stay with me? Woo, not a bad deal, right? But he walked with God, and that's not normal. Uh, that's not even a normal thought process, not a normal way of approaching life. Uh, uh, to, from the prospect of us being able to walk with God, but we've been called to, to in fellowship and union with him, to walk with him. And really, if you're going to do that, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's just going to be uncomfortable because it's, it's, it, it requires of you to see life from a perspective that we've not been trained to see life from, right? I mean, his ways are not our ways for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So are his ways above ours, right? I mean, his thoughts above our thoughts. I mean, everything God does is so much more advanced, so much cooler, right? So much bigger and greater and more powerful. It's just so much more than what we know, but it's, it's good to know we've been called to, to think his thoughts and, and to fellowship with him and to walk these things out. Amen. We're, we're able to do it. Praise God. And, uh, uh, you know, so if you're going to do anything for the Lord, it's going to, it's going to require, uh, you to be okay with being uncomfortable in some situations. Amen. And, uh, you know, you, you, the minute you start getting comfortable is a minute to start checking up. What are you doing? <laughs> that's at least for me. That's what I found. The minute I start getting comfortable in my walk or what I'm doing, that's the time to be checking up. What am I doing? What's going on? What, what am I pursuing? What are the things I'm going after? Because uh, God is all, he's so much better than us and cooler than us that, that to be with him is going to challenge us. Amen. And so in the idea of reaching people, you know, and, and uh, being a light and ministering people, it's so important that we recognize people for what they are. The Bible says that people are precious. Amen. People are precious. You know, I looked up this up. There are other things that the Bible calls precious in first Peter chapter one says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold. So your faith, the Bible says is precious. That's good to know, isn't it? Your faith is precious. It says to those who have in second Peter, the first chapter, it says to those who have obtained like precious faith, amen. Faith is precious. Uh, first Peter, the first chapter, verse 19 says, talks about the precious blood of Jesus. How many agree with me that the blood of Jesus is kind of precious, right? It's, it's, it's about as, as precious as it gets, right? The very blood of Jesus is precious. Uh, later on in first Peter chapter two is behold, I lay in Zion, a Zion, a chief cornerstone elect and precious. And he who believes on him will by, will by no means be put to shame. Jesus himself is precious. 
And so when you talk about uh, uh, those who are outside of the family of God, the ones that we're called to reach, God calls them precious. God calls them precious. You know, uh, it's, it's easy to, uh, uh, to look at things that go on around us. You know, we, we, uh, we, this with what happened, you know, last night in, in Orlando that we prayed about. You know, th- it was a tragedy all the way around what happened. I, I think they said, I looked today and 50 people lost their lives. I'm not sure if they were more than that. But, you know, what a tragedy. And, uh, you know, those that were involved and, and those that lost their lives and, and even the, 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 the one who perpetrated it, you know, loss of life is, is a horrible thing. You know, if a person is, is not in relationship with Christ, no matter, no matter what their life looked like, I mean, that's in, that's in a hopeless situation, right? And that is, that is uh, an individual that Jesus shed his blood for. It's someone that Jesus shed his blood for, amen? And so it's important that, you know, that we not be uh, discouraged or, or look at things through natural eyes, but see in the way God sees them, amen? Uh, James chapter 5 in the New Living Bible, I love this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmer who patiently waits for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so, you know, I just like said for a minute tonight, just talk a little bit about the fact that people are precious. And this is something we have to stay on top of and and make sure that we're continually reminding ourselves of what we're doing. Amen. Why? Because our vision is Acts 2016. We've been sent to be ministers and a witness, right? To turn people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, right? From the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what we've been called to do. That is our assignment. And it is the greatest commission we can have in life is rescuing people. Amen. Now, you know, like I said, it's easy to look at things and, and, and uh, 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 become distracted with, with what we see and not see the value in it. I, I, I shared this with the youth next door a few weeks ago. Uh, I found online some pictures of, uh, of something. Now, you may know something about cars, and, and, we'll, we'll, and maybe as we show more pictures, you'll recognize what this is. But, you know, Father's Day is coming up next week. And uh, maybe next week, what if your kids, you know, roll up to the house and they say, Hey, we bought, Dad, we bought you a new car. Justin would be okay with that, wouldn't you? Would you be happy about that? All right. Well, what if that new car happened to look like this? Picture number one. Would you be as excited? <laughs> yes, it might be a fixer of her, right? Uh, I, I, it might be. Justin, that's astute. That might be a fixer of her, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I told the teenagers, when I turned 16, my dad showed up uh, with, a, with a vehicle for me to drive, a 1974 Ford F-150. I talked about that a couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, you know, running into things and, and doing damage in this truck. It was a goodbye for me. But I remember when he showed up to the house, I was not excited about it. I mean, I was happy to have wheels, but I wasn't excited about the wheels I got. Actually, I think I backed into you guys' van, didn't I? Yeah, that truck was awful. I, Thank God for mercy from the Morgans because they didn't tell my parents. I ran out and jumped in the truck and backed into it and didn't look. They were parked right behind me. Thank you for having grace. But anyway, and uh, not telling my mom and dad about that because I'd have been a dead man. But anyway, did you fix that on your own? They don't remember. All right, I probably owe you some money. But anyway, um, if you were to get a car like this, you know, your, your initial reaction may be something that you might not... Not, might not appreciate what you have. It might, it might be something that uh, uh, doesn't really spark your attention when you first see it. Go to the next picture. This is what it looks like inside. This is what under the hood looks like. 
cobwebs and leaves and all, uh, how many know that that's not the way cars are supposed to look? Uh, if you go down to the Jeep dealership, Jeep dealership, or down to the, you know, the, the BMW lot or whatever, or to the Chrysler dealer or the Nissan dealer, they're not going to have too many cars that look like this on the showroom uh, with the, the, the cobwebs and things that are underneath it. Go to the next picture. Now, this is actually what that car is. Now, some of you might start to recognize, oh, that's actually, oh, okay, it looks bad inside and under, under the hood's a little ugly, but not, now I'm getting a little excited about this. This is a 1969 Dodge Daytona. You can show the next picture. This is what it looks like on the, the, the back side of it. This car was bought by an individual in 1974. The car came out in 1969, sold for $3,900 and something dollars, brand new. And in 1974, the owner of this bought this for $1,800. And, of course, it looked differently in 1974. He drove it for a little bit of time and wrecked it and then parked it in his garage and forgot all, or his barn and forgot all about it. Until just recently, these pictures were taken at the end of 2015. He remembered this, this vehicle in his, uh, in his barn. Of course, he put it up for auction, and uh, he was going to sell it. The auction, I, I don't know what this ended up selling for, but the auction estimates on this vehicle, the appraisers who looked at it, said this car, in its current condition, the way you see it right now, doesn't run. It had 26,000 miles on it. He wrecked it pretty early. But it had been sitting in his, his barn for all of these years, didn't work. It was, has been crashed. They said that um, the estimates on this were between $150,000 and $180,000 for this vehicle. Current condition. Hey, hey, man is right, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I were to find that in my, I don't have a barn. Maybe I need to build a barn and let people come park stuff in my house, right? Maybe I'll find something like this. But uh, in its current condition, they expected it to sell for this. Now, the next picture is one of a uh, picture of one that's been restored. And this particular car sold the beginning of this year, restored. Not It wasn't a perfect car in mint condition. It was a beat-up car as well that was turned over, fixed up. It sold for $900,000. Justin, would you like to get that for Father's Day? Oh, yeah. See, his story changed, right? His first response was, well, it might be a fixer-upper. Now it's a, oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. He's believing for it right now. All right, he's believing for one. So kids get busy. But anyway, you can, you can take it down. My point is, you know, we look at things, and a lot of times we assess value based on what we see. We, invest, we, 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 we attribute value to something based on things that we recognize on the outside. How do you know that, that value doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with what something looks like, right? It has everything to do with the price that's been associated with it, right? And it's easy in life when you see all the mess that's going on around us to not intentionally, and I'm not saying this because we have a problem. Really, I, I'm saying this because I believe that the Lord is, is, is positioning us as a church to really begin to fulfill, to step into the next phase of what he's called us to do. And in order for that to happen, we've got to recognize people for what they are. Even if they have dings and got a little rust and maybe have cobwebs under the hood, maybe their seats are torn, that's kind of disturbing, but maybe they have problems or here or there, they are worth something. They're valuable, right? This vehicle with all of its problem is something that would be uh, of extreme value. When it, when even even in, in its condition, wrecked condition, it's still worth a bunch of money, but restored, it is near, it's considered priceless. They, they said that this, was, this find was similar to finding a Van Gogh in your house, in your closet. 
finding a car like this because there, I don't remember how many there was. There's very few of them made and, and uh, just such a rare vehicle. Finding this in your barn is like stumbling upon a Van, stumbling upon a Van Gogh. Just doesn't happen. But you know what? Uh, people have value not because of the condition their lives are in, but, be, for, but because of the price that's been paid for them. Amen. Because of the price that's been paid for them. You know, if you look back on your own life, we've all had situations where we had, we were in need of work and many of us, myself included, are still in need of some work. Hey, right. We're still in need of it. But despite of what the need, the work is, there has been a huge price that's been paid for us and a huge price has been paid for every single individual. A huge sum has been paid. The very Blood of Jesus has been shed for every human being, every person you come into contact with. And it's important if you're going to do the things that Mark was talking about, talking about last week is to cultivate and stay on top of keeping a proper perspective of the people you come into contact with. Right. Go with me over to, um, go with me to, uh, uh, Mark, the second chapter, Mark chapter two. I had just a, a couple examples here. Mark the second chapter. In the fifteenth verse, it says, "Now it happened. Uh, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house." that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him entering um, with the tax collector, eating with the tax collector and the sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call, uh, to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." You know, if you know anything about history that, that in this day, of course, the Jews during this time hated to pay taxes, period. They felt like that it was an infringement upon their religious beliefs to pay any kind of tax, anything. All of anything that was owed was always owed to God. And so they didn't believe in paying taxes, period, much less paying taxes to the Roman government. And oftentimes these uh, tax collectors were, were uh, Jewish citizens that the Romans instilled or put into place. And they were the most hated of all citizens. They were the ones that everybody looked down upon because they were notoriously crooked. I mean, they, would, they, would, they could charge you as much tax as they wanted to. Kind of like our IRS now, right? So uh, they could charge you as much as they wanted to. And in fact, many of them would, would pick people out, certain ones out, and charge them such high rates of taxes that the person, knowing that the person couldn't pay it, and then the tax collector would then loan them that money to pay the tax that they made up and then charge them a huge amount of interest. How many know that that wouldn't be your favorite person in the world? And so these were, these were people that, that were widely despised. And of course, it even mentioned sinners. But notice the people that Jesus spent time and his disciples eating with and fellowshipping with were those that were, were the most unliked and unlovely people in society, the tax collectors and sinners. Isn't it interesting? Now, Levi is also Matthew, and uh, speaking of the one who wrote the book of Matthew, and so he became someone that actually followed Jesus and was the first one who ended up writing a gospel in Hebrew for the Jewish people. So God chose, Jesus chose Levi 
also known as Matthew, they had two names back then, chose him out of all of these people to be one of the 12 that followed him and entrusted him to be one of the four that wrote the Gospels. Now, that wouldn't be who you would think God would normally choose to do something like that, but that's exactly the person God was looking for. It's because he saw Matthew, he might have been a mess, but he saw that there was a masterpiece there. There was something precious there that he wanted to work with. And so, you know, he called Matthew. We know after this that Matthew went on. He preached in, uh, in Israel for about 15 years. Uh, and then after that, uh, he ended up being a missionary to the uh, region of Ethiopia. And that's not the Ethiopian Africa because it didn't exist back then. But the Ethiopia region was on the Caspian Sea. He later went to Persia and then went on to Syria after that. So God used him to spread the gospel. He wrote the go- one of the gospels and then he used him to preach the gospel. But notice it started with somebody that was the most unloved amongst everybody. Amen. You know, God can use the most unlovely. I mean, you know, our own pastor, my father, was not the most lovely person in the world. Don't tell him I said that. But that was before I was around. But no, you know, he, he's told his testimony before and, 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 you know, had basically completely turned his back on God. And not just turned his back, he was running the other direction. He was going the opposite direction and working the, as best he could to, to, to promote the kingdom of darkness that he's, at, at, as he possibly could. But listen, God saw something in him. He was precious. He was valuable. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that my family and those that knew him didn't turn his back on him. Because the truth is, I wouldn't even be here had they done that. We can all look in our own lives. There are people that believed in us and saw the goodness in us and saw us through God's eyes. I want to encourage you, see people through God's eyes. If you're going to do the things Mark was talking about, you've got to maintain proper vision. You know, as believers that we are, I believe God requires us to do that, to keep a proper perspective on individuals when we come into contact. Go with me over to uh, Acts, the ninth chapter. So Matthew was someone that was chosen, uh, uh, that was really didn't fit the norm of what you would think. But what about the apostle Paul was called Saul at the time in Matthew, the, uh, the ninth chapter, uh, of course, you know, Paul was, 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 uh, uh, catching believers, Christians, and responsible for un, untold numbers of people's deaths. He was basically a, he was a, a terrorist of their day, terrorizing the church. And, of course, he had his uh, experience with the Lord on the road to Damascus. And um, uh, in verse 10, it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is Acts chapter 9 in the 10th verse. Uh, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. and, And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias... And he said, here am I, Lord. So, he, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Now at this moment, I'm sure Ananias' face probably went completely white. Of all the people that the Lord would appear to you and tell you to go talk to, this is the last guy Ananias wanted to go talk to. I'll go talk to Justin. I'll go talk to Iris. I'll go talk to this one or that one, but... Saul of Tarsus, you have got the wrong guy, right? And said, I want you to go talk to Saul of Tarsus. And uh, it says, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Verse 13, then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. I mean, you know that sometimes our reputations precede us, right? In verse 14, and, he, and, and here... He has the authority from the priest chiefs, the 
the chief priest, y'all pray, the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And of course, we know that Paul or Ananias went on and, and ended up praying for him and, and, uh, and set Saul on his journey and set him on a place. But notice that he required, it was up to an individual, up to a, a believer to put Saul on the, right, on the right course, on the right path. It wasn't something that, that the Lord in and of himself could do. He obviously called him, and, and Saul got born again that day because he called him Lord. You know, he, he confessed him as Lord, so he had a revelation of who, of who Jesus was. But he needed the disciples, in particular one named Ananias, to get his life turned around and get him on track with what God had told, called him to do. And it was the last person you would think that God would use. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, this man, who murdered Christians at one minute, and the next minute was preaching the gospel. When he went to Jerusalem after that to, to minister, they were all afraid of him. They were scared. Is this guy, is he tricking us? He's come to imprison us. But, you know, it's important to see people. Like I said, see people for who they are. A person's past doesn't determine their value. A person's, uh, a person's even current situation doesn't determine their value. Amen? It's important to see people who are they're precious. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has been shed for them. You know, I was thinking earlier, how many remember Jody from the church? If you've been around a long time, man by the name of Jody. Anybody remember Jody? You remember Jody. Dan and Mel, do you guys remember Jody? Jody was a guy that when the church was, was young, uh, uh, here in High Springs. Of course, you know, when we started, the, my folks started the church back in, uh, I say we because I was there, but uh, when they started the church back in uh, 1980, you know, for a little while we met. By the way, today is, today is exactly 36 years that the church started. So in case you did, I'd, I'd forgotten that until pastor said it today in California. So on the 36th anniversary, he didn't, he's not here. But anyway, uh, just, just kidding. Um, so the church has been going for 36 years, but 36 years ago, we were meeting in a farmhouse, you know, out in Fort White. And uh, shortly after that, we moved into High Springs. We're meeting in the uh, women's club. And then after that, we moved to the old First Baptist Church in High Springs that we were at before we came out here. And uh, so we had been meeting there for a while, and there was a man named Jody in our town, and Jody was the most, one of the most notorious drunks in High Springs. Now, High Springs has grown, it's hard, it has grown some, uh, not leaps and bounds, but it has grown. Back then, it was a very tight-knit community. Everybody knew everybody. Now, as much as you think everybody knows everybody now, everybody knew everybody back then. I mean, you, you couldn't mow your yard without it being news, right? I mean, you couldn't do anything with everybody knowing about it. Well, Jody was the most notorious town drunk, and he was also known as somebody that was the uh, quickest to get in a brawl over anything. Jody did not have a good reputation, and um, uh, Jody was, was, was a guy, and I didn't know all this about him at the time, but, but somebody that from the, from the outward appearances really had nothing going for him and had no reason to go, we had no reason to go after him. Well, Jody had an encounter with Jesus. I said Jody had an encounter with Jesus, and Jody's life was completely changed. I think back of Jody, and, and I remember his history, but I remember a man that was one of the kindest sweetest, gentlest, most tender-hearted men I have ever known. And I actually hadn't thought about him in years. And I got to thinking, I can't wait to see Jody one day. When I was a kid, you know, brothers like to pick on each other. My older brother liked to mess with me. Jody was my defender. 
I love Jody. I mean, Steve couldn't even look at me. If he looked at me the wrong way, Jody was on top of him because for some reason Jody loved me, so I love Jody, right? And uh, Jody was always there to back me up and always there to, to support. I just remember Jody just being a huge encouragement in my life. You, you look back at people that have an impact on you down the road. I look back and Jody had a huge impact on my life. As, as a young child, he had a major impact on my life. But he was somebody that you would not have thought the town drunk and brawler would have an impact on a seven, six and seven-year-old such a profound way. I'm telling you what. We can't look at people by what we see. I tell you, the blood of Jesus has been shed for them, and there is potential in every single individual. Right? There's potential there in every single individual. If you're going to fulfill the vision, if you're going to go after what God's called us to do, as a church, we've got to continue to develop a culture of valuing people to the point where we're willing to put ourselves out there for them. Right? Put ourselves out there for them. You know, I'm not saying you invite them all into your house. That's not what I'm saying that you do, but you invest in them. You know, I look around there and there's so many people here that people invested in them. People believed in them, invested in them, and saw what God saw in their lives, and then yielded to yielded their own will to that. You know, I would have never have known that Jody, all these all those years later, would have had had such a profound impact on my life. But the Bible says that we're members of one another. Go over with me to um, turn with me to uh, uh, Romans, the twelfth chapter, scripture. I know that you know, but let's look at this. Romans chapter twelve. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of themselves more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all member, all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is, giving, that is given to us, let us use them. Let me just say this. I read this scripture because we're tied to one another. I can't run my race without you. You can't run your race without me. Right? I mean, there are things that I just won't be able to accomplish in my life without having you here. David has been a blessing to me. He's helped me run my race. I trust that I've helped David run his race, right? And so we're called here to, to be, we're members of one another. But I can I tell you that not every member of the body of Christ is here yet. When God looks at the body of Christ, he sees the finished product. We're still in the process of putting that product together. So he knows the beginning from the end. He knows, he knows it, how it started, but he also sees how it finishes. And there are many that are in the body of Christ with gifts and callings that we need to run our race. See, if you have to approach it from a selfish standpoint, do whatever you have to to see people the right way. You need what somebody else has to offer. You need what those that, that we look around the Jodies, we need what they have to offer in order to run our race. We need that. Had it not been for Jody, I might not be where I am today. Had it not been for various ones, I, probably, I might not have been where I am today. We need these things. And so, you know, when we see people, realize that your answer could very well be in the person that it would be easy to, to think that, well, there's, they're too far gone or there's not an option for them. No, people are precious. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. I don't care how messed up they are. If the gift and calling of God is there, it's something that will never fade away and never change. 
Let's pursue those things. Let's pursue those things. You know, as a church, you know, um, uh, we can we can develop and continue to develop a culture where people come in and and rec- and and recognize the love of God because we're putting it on display. Like I said, you know, we're, we're doing a good job of these things, I believe, but we can do better at this. We can cultivate this more. You know, the things that Mark was talking about, talking about last week, if you will ask the Lord to continue to develop this in you now, I believe this is the very heart of God. I believe this is the very heart of God. This is something that is the closest thing to him as you can possibly imagine. But if you will pursue this and be open to God developing this in you, you'll begin to see people in a way that you've never seen before. But it requires a decision on our part to do it. It requires a decision on our part to do it and to take a step back and take the time to see people the way God sees them, to allow the Lord to show us who these people are that we come into contact with. You know, when we begin to do these things, like I said, it can be an uncomfortable thing, but I just want to encourage you tonight. I believe we're heading into a, into a, a place as a church where, how many remember several years ago, Dr. Lemon prophesied about our church, about the kind of place we would be, that people would come in that wouldn't look like us. I, can I just tell you, I can't wait for us to be a church where people don't look like us. I honestly can't wait for that. I, I, I believe our church will be, uh, you know, will be at some point, will be a church that is racially, completely racially integrated. I'm looking forward to that. How many know there's no place for, for racial division in the body of Christ? There's either, there's either in the body of Christ or without, outside of the body of Christ. That's the only thing. That's the only difference, the family of God and the family of darkness. But the good news is we can take people out of the family of darkness and bring them into the family of light. You know, I was thinking today, you know, our nation is probably the most racially divided they've been in my lifetime. As the church, we can change that. The church, we can change that. You know, I was thinking in back in this day, the, the, the times that the Bible was written, slavery was, 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 was uh, uh, just rampant. If you couldn't pay your bills, you became somebody's slave. You know, you would, in fact, entire families would get sold into slavery. And it was particularly brutal at this time. And it was something that was, it was pervasive throughout the entire culture was, and the Roman culture was slavery. Indentured servanthood and all of this stuff was just, uh, it was just prevalent. But during the, one of the things, you know, the, about the Bible says that the church grew daily. They were always growing. If you, if you read in various places, let me find, I wrote one of these down. Um, let me find where this is here. Well, uh, we'll just turn to, turn to one of them. Colossians, the, let's, let's do Galatians chapter three. Make sure this is right. Yeah, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Uh, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This was something the church grew daily. But what, a, what an unusual thing happened in the church. Class systems Countries like India, class system is very big. And people who are in different classes don't associate with one another. They just don't do it. During this time, slaves and masters didn't intermingle in their personal. They just didn't intermingle in their personal lives. But in the church, there was an environment, such a unique thing, where where when a person was maybe a, a master and a slave 
in the church, the person who was the slave was actually the teacher. And they worked seamlessly back and forth. And it was something that the church's influence on how they treated one another and how they looked at one another actually changed culture. Just, down, just a few years down the road, slavery became something that was a, just in that culture, just either went away or all of the brutality was gone almost entirely in a very short amount of time. It was because of the influence of the church. Just the influence of the church had that much of an effect. What am I saying? That the things in our culture that aren't right, we're not going to change them by legislation. We'll change them by seeing people the way God sees them and exemplifying that in the church. That's how it'll happen. Listen, getting on a soapbox about stuff won't fix things, but showing the love of God will every single time. But I'm telling you what, our culture loves this kind of stuff. But as the children of light, we've got to love the way God loves. That's what I'm talking about, seeing people the way God sees them. Because all our society is all about differentiating us from one another. It's all about differentiating ourselves with, from one another. And this one has this, this one has this. No, that's not what it's about. It's whether or not somebody has Jesus. And everybody is available to have that. And we have the great opportunity to present that to them. But they'll never accept our invitation if we don't love them first. They'll never accept that invitation unless we demonstrate the love of God to them. I just want to encourage you. Begin to get on. Be okay with being uncomfortable. Reach out to the unlovely. What happens if the unlovely comes? Praise God. They won't stay unlovely long. Because the same Jesus that worked on you will work on them. Amen. I just want to encourage you tonight. Listen, I believe we're heading into a time where this, where we need to be aware of this. If we believe that Jesus is coming back soon, I'm telling you, we're heading into a time where this is going to happen. The church is a place of refuge for the lost, right? This church is a place of refuge for the lost. It's a place of safety and rescue. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do. We've been talking about stretching ourselves and opening our, our, our perspective and thinking bigger, right? We've been talking about talking this morning about putting action to our faith. This is areas where we can start putting action to what we believe, right? You know, I know for myself, you know, I've been asking the Lord, you know, to, to, to get my attention throughout the day. When it's easy just to look over stuff, but get my attention throughout the day and, and help me to see things that I'm missing out on. And I'm telling you what, there's so many opportunities that are out there. There's so many opportunities that are out there. What a privilege it is to be a minister of these things. Listen, go back to Acts 26. We'll wrap it up. Acts 26. I want to read it to you again. This is the vision of our church. Acts 26, 16 says, but rise and stand on your feet. Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things that you have seen and the things that I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles from to whom I now send you. Listen, God will deliver us. Listen, any heat we may get, God is there to deliver us. Amen? <laughs> says, I'll, so I'll deliver you from the, uh, uh, from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Praise God. Listen, I just challenge you. 
Let, let's, let's start, let's start pushing ourselves. Let's start pushing ourselves. Amen. Let's start pushing ourselves. You know, when folks come in, I tell you, we, we need to embrace them, not just welcome them, but make them feel welcome, right? Show the love of God to them. Begin to pursue them. You know, I was, uh, one of the things that Christopher Allen had written, if you read his, he put up a thing on Facebook a long time ago, several years ago, about reaching Muslims. Of course, you know, Christopher Allen's one of the missionaries we support, and uh, he's from Pakistan and was raised in a Muslim family. And one of the things he said about Muslims that is so important, if we're going to reach the Muslim nations, is that we open our lives to them. He said the Muslim communities are so well knit, are so knit together that they do everything. Jackie knows he's been, she's been over there. They do everything together. I, I was watching this thing on, I've told you about this before, watching this thing, this documentary. And they, this was in London. And this guy was a street preacher. He was a Christian street preacher. And uh, an um, uh, Islamic imam, a Muslim imam, uh, uh, one of their leaders came up to him and started asking him questions. And this guy really didn't know a whole lot of scripture. I mean, they had the video cameras there and, and they're asking him questions and, and basically, uh, uh, trying to catch this, this younger man, you know, trying to trap him. Well, this man started listening to them and, and, uh, agreed to go to the mosque, the local mosque with them. The long story short, they went back and interviewed this guy two months later, just two months had gone by. They interviewed this guy. He was 100% sold out to Islam. He was, he was wearing the, the outfits, going, doing his daily prayers all the times they pray every day. He himself was going out with the same group and, and, and making converts on the street, completely sold out. And the thing they asked me, said they made them a part, they made me a part of who they were. That's what got them. They made me a part of who they were. Let's make people a part of who we are. Amen, can we do that? I just challenge you, you know, as people come in, let's pursue people. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.